that better? Okay, good morning. Do you mind if I move this piece of paper, uh, this... Um, It's a symbol. Well, that's what we're looking at this morning. Symbols. Um, let's turn to Acts and chapter 2. And if you'd like a church edition of the Bible, raise your hand and uh, one will be given to you. Uh, this is the third week looking at this passage. And um, Acts chapter 2 and verses 37 to 41. Um, yeah, if you'd like a church edition of the Bible, they're coming around. I believe it's page 1094 in those editions. And perhaps while we're looking for that, um, the Olympic torch coming through uh, your area uh, last week, um, uh, it's now gone over towards Wales and it's traveling around um, other parts of the country and it's back in the Midlands. Uh, later in June, and on the 1st of July, it's coming through Leamington and Warwick, my hometown. And that's a Sunday. And uh, we had planned quite some time ago, we, we knew that it was the day that the torch was coming through, but we weren't quite sure of its route when we started to make plans for a special um, community day that we're having um, at our church. And it's actually coming down the road where our church meets. We meet in a, a school similar to you. And it's coming down that road uh, around about 4.30, 4.35 in the afternoon on the 1st of July. So we're putting together a, a major program of activities on that day. So we value your prayers for that. And we're now getting a bit concerned um, because of the numbers. Um, I think this spectacle is not so much the torch, you know, seeing somebody dress, dressed in white holding a gold stick is... Um, but it's the crowds that it seems to uh, attract. It's, it's quite incredible. And so we're starting to get worried about the size of this. But then on the other side of the coin, I'm just wondering, will this momentum um, be maintained for the next month or so? It seems like every newscast, both local and national, carries something about the torch. And it's got, in total, I think it's 70 days, isn't it? So it's a, a, it's, and it, it is over an, a month before it comes into our area. Um, Will people just be bored by it? And there'll be one man and his dog out to see it. We, we, we don't know. But pray for us with our, our fun day on the 1st of July. But as David's already said, this was another day when uh, flames came. Uh, a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And we read now in verses 37 to 41 um, what Peter, the uh, leader of the church, uh, said to the crowd who saw what had taken place and uh, had heard the message that he proclaimed. Verse 37, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other, and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. So that includes us. For all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So we're looking um, at the two responses that Peter called 
to this crowd who asked, what shall we do? And last week we looked at repentance. That's the first thing that Peter said in verse 38. Peter said, repent and be baptized. Now, I know that repentance is more than what we looked at last week. It covers more than what we looked at last week. Um, Throughout the Bible, those who are followers of Jesus Christ uh, are called to repent of the things in in their lives that they know that are wrong and to change their minds about attitudes and lifestyles. So I know it's broader than what we looked at last week, but in the context of what we're looking at at the moment here in Acts chapter 2, repentance here is to change your mind about Jesus Christ. You are wrong about him. You thought that he was a nobody, rejected by God, cursed by God, and so taken by the Gentiles and crucified. But you're wrong about that because God has made him both Lord and Christ and given evidence of that by raising him from the dead. And that is the starting point. The call here is not for a change of lifestyle. That will follow. The call here is to repent, to change your mind about Jesus Christ. But, of course, that is a a very inward thing. Hopefully, if you change your mind about Jesus Christ, it will begin to affect your lifestyle because the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside you and brings about all sorts of changes. But it is invisible. It is inward. And so that is why Peter also says, repent and be baptized. An outward, practical physical demonstration of that inward decision that you have decided to become a follower of Jesus Christ. It's a a tangible symbol of a changed lifestyle. Now, baptism is not a Christian invention. It didn't even start with John the Baptist. Come to him in just a few moments. But in Jewish culture, the idea of being baptized, although the term that was really used was self-immersion, was quite common. When people realized that they had messed up, that they had done things wrong, or more particularly, if they realized that they were ritually unclean, then they used to go through a process of washing. Uh, The amount of water that was involved, we can't be quite sure. But there was that ritual of baptism, that took place in the culture in the days in which we're reading here, right in the first century. So what Peter calls for here, and what John the Baptist called for, wasn't something that was brand new, that was alien. John the Baptist, of course, took it, um, it was central to what he was doing, hence the title Baptist was given to him. Um, Again, we don't know quite Uh, how John the Baptist baptized people, we get a hint that it involved quite a lot of water because we're told in one of the accounts in the Gospels that John the Baptist was baptizing in a certain place because there was a lot of water there. So the hint that it was more than just a jug, more than just a sprinkling, that there was something um, uh, fuller than that that was taking place. But we don't know exactly how it took place. But John the Baptist took this idea that was already there in the culture that, right, if you really want to change, you then demonstrate that inward decision of repentance by doing something on the outside, by being baptized. So again, it was that outward demonstration of an inward decision to be 
different. It signified being sorrow, uh, uh, being sorry. It, it signified swallowing a bit of one's pride. It signified, of course, washing, you know, getting rid of the muck and starting brand new. But it also was a, a symbol of identifying yourself with a new way and a new group of people who also followed that way. So it had all that symbolism around it. And here on the day of Pentecost, it had that symbolism around it. But was it only a symbol? And I use that phrase deliberately, only a symbol, because sometimes we say about things, well, it's only a symbol. Almost saying, well, it doesn't really matter that much because it's only a symbol. But actually, I'd put it to you that symbols are very important and very powerful. Sometimes you see a country, perhaps the country of Iran, who don't get on with America very much. And on the news report, you'll see some people in the streets of uh, a city in Iran, and they take an American flag and they burn it. Yeah? It's only a symbol. Oh, yes, and everybody in the States is just sitting back and going, that's only a symbol. No, their blood is beginning to boil. If you were to walk down certain streets in Belfast in Northern Ireland wearing certain colors and walk around down the wrong street, then I couldn't guarantee your safety to the end of the street. <coughs> only a symbol, orange or green. If you were to go into the Stretford end of Old Trafford, Manchester United's football ground, wearing at the moment a light blue football top, which represents Manchester City. Again, I couldn't guarantee your safety. Only a symbol. If I were to put up on the screen a picture of a swastika. Only a symbol. Symbols are very important. Baptism is a symbol. But only a symbol? Only a symbol? But it's more than a symbol. It's deeper than that. Because if it was just a symbol of wanting to start again, of um, having a fresh start, of joining a certain group of people who now think the same way as me, or I think the same way as them, is perhaps the right way around, then why don't Christians put on a certain sort of uniform? Of course, there are some Christians who do that. The Salvation Army do that. Well, why don't Christians do that? Why don't we all wear the same? Why don't we have a tattoo? Okay? Interesting. <laughs> Why don't we have a flag? Why don't we have a badge? Well, because the symbol of baptism visualizes an important truth. It's a symbol, but it's a demonstration of something as well. And I want us to have a look at this, and particularly what the Bible goes on to tell us about the symbol of baptism, and what it demonstrates. So we're going to have a look at a, another passage, Romans and chapter 6. Romans and chapter 6. Now, I do not believe that on the day of Pentecost, those 3,000 people who repented of their attitude to Jesus Christ and were baptized fully understood the significance of the baptism that they went through. All right? It's as the church developed, and particularly as Paul began to pen some of the theology that acted as a foundation for the church, 
that the full significance of baptism and what it symbolizes, what it demonstrates, began to grow in the consciousness of the church. And here in Romans chapter 6, we have Paul explaining a bit more about the significance of baptism as a symbol and why baptism is an important symbol because of what it demonstrates over and above wearing a badge or flying a flag. Verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase by no means? We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now, let me just warn you two things here. One, in the next few minutes, you might think either you've lost the plot here, you've got a bit of a senior moment, and you've gone right off tack. I thought you were talking about baptism. You might not think I'm talking about baptism, but hopefully it will be clear, clear in a few moments. And secondly, you might think, well, I've heard some of this stuff before from you, Ivor. Well, yes, you have. I've preached here on quite a few occasions, so I admit that some of you may have heard it before. But repetition is a good thing, I believe. Repetition is a good thing. Okay. So just, just to, to, to warn you. When I was eight years old at school, I remember going into a school assembly one morning nine o'clock, whatever time it was, sitting down with the two, three hundred other uh, uh, school friends, teachers at the front. We had our assembly, and then the headmistress, Mrs. Williams, uh, stood up and gave a few notices. And one of the notices she gave, obviously, is stuck in my mind, you know, nearly 50 years later. She said, boys and girls, you'll notice that as you came in and walked across the playground, there were some men working in the playground painting the lines on a, a school playground, the lines that are there for the, the netball court and the hopscotch, you know, the sorts of things. He said, boys and girls, when you go out to play this morning, make sure that you don't lick the paint. <laughs> now, I must admit, that had not crossed my mind. <laughs> but what do you think I and the couple of hundred other school kids did when we went out to play. Not every one of them, but I did, and I remember some of my friends doing it. I remember running my finger along this bright yellow line and going, oh, yes, she's right, it's horrible. Shouldn't lick the paint. Now, what a stupid thing to say, you know? But actually, I believe it shows in us as human beings uh, a flaw, a characteristic, that the thing we're told not to do <coughs> is the very thing that we want to do. Yeah. If we have a choice between the good thing and the bad thing, it's the bad thing that we want to do, and very often it's the bad thing that we do do. And it's a problem not just with eight-year-old children, it's a problem with everybody. It doesn't matter how old we are, what gender we are, what nationality we are, what culture we come from. There's something 
in us that causes us to do wrong stuff. Yeah? I hope you believe that. Else, if you don't, you're one of the only perfect people I know. We all do things wrong. It's a universal, unavoidable problem. Now, you do not need the Bible, actually, to tell you that truth, do you? We live in, in an imperfect world where we all mess up. Some of us mess up more than others. Some of us are good at covering it up. But the fact is, we all go wrong. The word that the Bible uses to describe this flaw, this human condition, is sin. Okay? And it's a fact. We all sin. Yeah? That's one thing I want you to just hold in your mind. Second thing is this. Um, I don't know if the name Bessie Cooper means anything to you. She's not related to me, as far as I'm aware. Bessie Cooper lives in America, and today she is 115, 275 days old. 115 years, 275 days. And she was still alive, according to Wikipedia this morning. She is, in fact, the oldest living person in the world. Okay? 115. Wow. And what I find incredible, I don't know if you heard uh, just a few weeks ago, that apparently one in four of people born today are likely to live over the age of 100. Becoming a centenarian, is that the right phrase, is more common today than at any time in Western civilization. Quite incredible. I'm leaving here... Um, and when we finish in a few minutes' time, um, and going home uh, to celebrate my mother's 85th birthday. She's 85 today. Um, Dad is 89, and they're still fairly fit, despite all the operations and the um, mountain of pills that they take. Um, yeah, they've just come back from a two-week holiday away, and they'll be going off on another holiday. That's all they do these days, is go on a holiday. But they're fit. It's not unusual, is it? Now, look, I don't want to depress anyone, but there's another universal, unavoidable truth, that one day Bessie Cooper will die. Although we might be putting off the day of the death of many people, it's an inevitable truth for us all, isn't it? We all die. We might not want to talk about it. We might try and avoid it. But it's a universal, unavoidable truth. Everybody dies. And again, you don't need the Bible to tell you that, do you? Although the Bible does say, we all die. Now, I believe the two are linked. The fact that we do things wrong, we sin, and the fact that we die. But they are two universal, use the phrase again, unavoidable truths. We all sin, we all die. Now, you might say then, okay, what has baptism got to do with this? I believe everything. Absolutely everything. Because I need a philosophy of life. I need a belief system that deals with those two problems. The problem that I do things wrong, and other people do things wrong, and the problem that one day I'm going to die. If I'm content with that, if I just say, well, that's inevitable, we all go wrong, we all die, well, that's it. 
But I want to know, is there a solution to that? The Bible tells us this. Christ died for our sins. Now, this is another sermon, or 20 sermons, really, to describe what that phrase actually means. But in its shortest possible sense, it means that Jesus Christ, in his death on the cross, has done something about the human condition of sin. Jesus did something on the cross that dealt with that fundamental flaw that is within each one of us. Christ died for our sins. Now that's Good Friday. But just a few weeks ago, we celebrated Easter because the Bible says that Christ rose from the dead. And in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Jesus has done something about that other universal unavoidable problem, the problem of death. In Jesus Christ, by his death and resurrection, sin has been sorted. Death has been dealt with. What has baptism got to do with this? Well, baptism is me being united with Christ's death and resurrection to such a degree that sin and death no longer has power over me. That's what baptism is. It's more than a symbol. It's me uniting with Christ's death and resurrection so that sin and death no longer has power over me. It is a symbol of washing, of a new start, but it's more than that. It unites me with what Jesus Christ has done. Now, just in case, some of you might be saying, well, hang on. Um, Does that mean that if somebody is not baptized, they're not united with the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ? The problem is that in our culture, in the church here in the West, we have moved quite a long way away from how things were done here in the New Testament. That when somebody realized that they needed to follow Jesus Christ, they repented of that sin, believed in Jesus, and were baptized probably in a matter of hours. The trouble is that when somebody these days repents, we say, let's go on a 10-week alpha course. or let's go through some baptismal classes. Now, I know there's all sorts of reasons for that. But when the Bible here, particularly in Romans, when Paul talks about baptism, he's talking about that moment when somebody repents and believes in Jesus and they're baptized, and it's all so close together, it's one thing, all right? So we've only sort of complicated it by stretching it out a little bit. But baptism, which is that outward demonstration of something inside significant has taken place, is me uniting with the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ to such a degree that sin and death no longer has his power over me. Now, what I've been saying over the past couple of weeks is that there are at least two challenges, possibly three, I find as a challenge to me that as I see the response of the apostles here in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit came on them and the boldness and the power with which they declared the good news about Jesus, my heart longs, oh Lord, I need that. I wish people would sometimes think I'm drunk with passion for Jesus Christ. But I'm British, 
and I'm old. And, uh, yeah, and I make all sorts of excuses why I'm basically a grumpy old man. So there's a challenge to me here. That people sometimes confuse my passion. They think you're drunk. No. This is such good news. But there's a challenge to us as well. Repent and be baptized. Repent and be baptized. Have you changed your mind about Jesus? Have you thought that he was just a man of history, perhaps the founder of Christianity? Important, but not that important. Or do you believe, as Peter says, that God has made him both Lord and Christ, the most significant individual who has ever walked this earth? Repent. If you have changed your mind about him, then be baptized. Don't keep it on the inside. Do something about it and demonstrate it on the outside. And when you repent and are baptized, you will be united with Christ's death and resurrection so that sin and death no longer has power over you. I'm going to finish by showing you a a short video. We've had video overload this morning, haven't we? But it uh, underlines some of the things that I've been saying and some of the facts about baptism. Let's pray together. Can I challenge you as that last statement on the video? Take the plunge. Change your mind about Jesus. Be baptized. You will receive the gift of the forgiveness of sins and of the Holy Spirit.
Lord, on this day, when we remember the first day of Christian Pentecost, we ask, Lord, that you will challenge us through your word and empower us through your Holy Spirit. We've been talking about changed lives. Continue to change us, we pray. Conform us into the image of your Son, we ask. And we do this in his name. Amen.